0: Good morning, everyone, and it's another edition of the Crimson Flow Bible Cast, and it is a good morning to be alive. I hope you all are enjoying your Sunday morning as we get into the day. Now, we are going to continue our I guess you could call it a series through the the book of John in the, the Holy Bible. So With that being said, I'll go ahead and get started. But first, of course, we need to uh, say a real quick prayer to ask the Lord in guiding us through this so that we can understand it together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today and thank you for the many blessings that you have given us. Lord, we just ask that you uh, guide our footsteps and our mouths, or my mouth mainly, as I read this text and that I. Use it to glorify you, Lord, and that nothing that comes out of my mouth is anything but what you want it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we'll get started. Last week, we talked about Jesus' first miracle and where it was turning the water into wine. But then we also got into the part where he got really mad at one of the churches that he turned his, um, they called it a... um, Altar or a temple, they turned his temple into a basically a flea market, from what the word says. So he got pretty mad about it, and that was the side of Jesus that not a lot of people preach about. You know, his where he is a just God. He's is, he's is, he is fair to everybody, and if it's against the his rules, then he gets pretty mad about it. I mean, that's the only thing he gets mad about is when, when somebody breaks the laws that he has set upon us. So, we'll get uh, on through here, but always remember he is willing to forgive us. That's the big thing. He is willing to forgive us if we change our life to him. So, we'll keep on reading here, and we'll start with chapter 3. And it says, There was a man of the Pharisees. Named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to, unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles without that thou doest, except God be with him. Now, of course, for those of you don't that don't know, a rabbi is essentially like a Jewish priest. And so... They see him because obviously the death, burial, and resurrection has not happened yet. So they see him as more of a a rabbi than they do like an actual messiah, which he is, obviously. But they don't know that at the time. So we'll keep on going here. In verse 3 it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that essentially just says that You know, it states that we are born of the devil, that our flesh is of the devil, and that we must be born again, become a new creature in Christ. And he's just kind of reiterating that here. And it just says, unless you become born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, that's just plain and simple. So it says, Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the the second time into the mother's womb and be born? Of course, we got to remember up until this point or not really this point, but the fact that Jesus was on earth and he started his teachings. the Jewish people made sacrifices unto God they were not they were not human they were usually the best out of their their crop or out of their field of animals that they had and they made sacrifices upon a burning altar and then they observed the Passover and that was how they uh, they were forgiven. You know, they might've done wrong through the year, but as long as they give God their best, it was like a kind of a return. And that's why Jesus came is because he was the lamb that was slain, so no more sacrifices had to be done, if that makes sense. But we would have to seek him in order to gain that token of forgiveness. But also remember that is the only way. He took out all the sacrifices, so you can't go and take ten of your cows or whatever if you own any or whatever, you know so much percentage of your best you can't just take it and sacrifice it and it still be good no jesus is now claiming that he is the only way when he says here i'm accept a man to be born again he cannot enter the kingdom of god it's like saying i'm the only way it institutes that we accept him into our lives accept accept his spirit into our hearts and that it will guide us from then on and we will be clean from our past and be like new. And then it kind of goes on to explain a little more here in verse 6. And he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It basically kind of dividing the two births in your lifetime. And the first being the flesh and, the, and being born again in the spirit. And then he says, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And I'm just assuming that means he's putting emphasis on it even more. Then he says, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And this whole verse just basically means that like, just like the wind, it goes where it wants, so that it does everyone that is born in the whole, in the spirit simply saying the spirit does what it wants you know it's 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 a part of God himself so that being said it's not going to lead you wrong it's just going to keep you on the straight and narrow as long as you listen to it the problem is you do have that free will, which is this, what this verse is also going through, you have that free will to choose whether to follow or to de- deny. But you want to be careful. You deny too much, and God being the perfect gentleman, he'll turn away and never come back. So that's something always to remember. Then it says, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? That's just basically saying, like, if he's going to tell you about the things of the earth, and you ain't going to believe them, as simple as they are, everyday life. What, what makes me think that you're going to believe stuff of the miraculous spiritual world that God has control of? You know, like heaven, hell, the, the you know, the Holy Spirit realm of the earth. So I mean, he's just kind of like, dude. If you ain't gonna believe this, you ain't gonna believe what I'm. I could tell you, you know. So then he says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that hath but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Now that sounds kind of confusing, but it's just kind of iterating his part in the Father, Son, Spirit circle, I guess you could call it. And then he said And as Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's just kind of prophesying how he's going to be resurrected from the dead. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Again, reiterating that if you believe in Jesus and truly believe in him, you will have everlasting or eternal life. And then here comes John 3.16, the most used, probably, Bible verse in the whole entire world. And it says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Then, to go on, because we always need to keep in context of where that verse came from, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved people leave that part out. But that is a very important part because, you know, we as Christians have have work to do. You know, it's not just a, hey, I got that token now I can live my life. No, we have to be obedient to God, be at his call. You know, every day we need to wake up and think, God, what do you want me to do today? How can I be a servant to you? Because, of course he's going to let us live our life. But if you're born again, you're not going to want to do the bad things. The things that would make him angry. You know, you're not going to want to do that. You're going to want to try to please him in any way you can. Because you know what he did for you. So now you're trying to pay the, le- the most that you can back. You know, obviously the fact that he died for you 2,000 years ago you're You're not gonna be able to do that now unless you're a martyr, but I mean, hope not, you know, but basically saying this like we we do our best every day to try to please him, to try to encourage people, and that's basically what this says because God sent Jesus to this world not to You know, point fingers, not to um, shame or anything like that. He he sent God to this world to give it another chance. Like another clear sign like, hey, this is your last chance and I'm giving you a new easy way. All you got to do is give your life to me. And let me guide you through your life from now on. And obviously today people still don't want to do it. So let's keep going. And it says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And that is so true. Because you think about, like, if you're a new Christian, or, you know, you recently been saved, you think about your life before this. You know, how how much stuff were you getting into that was getting you in trouble all the time? How, how like, depressed were you feeling or how lonely or you know just like you you were tired all the time and you just felt like nothing was going right he was complaining all the time and then it, all of a sudden he set you free from that now you're looking at life at a whole different perspective now I mean maybe you come off the drugs, maybe you come off of uh, other troubles and issues that you've had in your life you know alcoholism Whatever it may be, you know, maybe you had a really severe case of anxiety, maybe you had a severe case of depression, and he saved you from that. So you look back at that time in your life, you were so condemned. But now that you have called on God, you have asked God to bring you new life so that you could follow him, and now you're free, you can live again. See, I mean, that's just one of the things he can do for you, but you just got to keep seeking him, keep seeking him. He can give you so much more, and he will never stop giving. you can never outgive God. that's that's the big thing. like you can try to be the most charitable person in the world, and he will always outgive you because you can't outgod God. I mean, it, if you could, he wouldn't be God. I mean, obviously, so let's uh let's keep going. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. And men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Now, what this, to me, what I'm getting out of this is, is we know that Jesus is light. He's he said that before, and that he has come to this world. So there, it says the condemnation is the light has come to this world to expel or reveal the darkness, and that men are lovers of darkness because we are we are followers of flesh. And this is also just talking about human, you know, human flesh. And we are more prone, our flesh is more prone to go to our darkness than the light. But our souls and our spirits, they are of God. And they have a natural tendency to want to seek the light, so to speak, in this context. So it basically go back, goes back and reiterates that we are born of the devil or the evil one, the wicked one, as it calls it. And we must be born again, obviously. So, with that natural tendency, like I said, our souls, they want to seek Jesus. And that's why even the happiest people in the world that are lost still feel like they're missing something. Like they can never fully feel completely and utterly happy is because they have what some have called a God-sized hole in their heart. And then it goes back and talks about, also, in like verse 20, it says, For everyone that doeth evil, hateth the light. Well, obviously, people that are doing wrong is going to hate people that are doing right because they, they, they feel convicted. You know, they feel, you know, that they don't want to do right. You know, they want to kind of live in the life that they're living and they don't want to get exposed, you know, obviously. So, they don't want to come to the light because they don't want to give up their life. You know, their life is what they think is making them happy. But they have no idea what kind of happiness they could have if they would just, I don't want to say crossover, but, you know, just kind of accept Accept Him in in their heart and they could be completely and utterly happy and not need all this other material worldly stuff. I mean, granted, we still have desires and God understands that. We have the desires of our heart. He understands that we are still fleshly beings and we will always have that tendency to want more, but we will always have what we need. And then it goes on. But he that doeth truth come to the light. So these people, you know, once they start doing or being honest, I should say, they start living honestly and everything. They come to the light and they, they, you know, get this blessing that has been promised to them. All their deeds, their wicked deeds and everything will be made clear. It says made manifest, which means made apparent, made obvious and made clear. And then they are wrought in God. And basically what that says is they're in the past. God sees them in the past. He forgives and they are no longer visible to him. He no longer sees them. They are no longer going to ever come back up to haunt you. Because he says those things are in the past. And Titus 1.2 says God cannot lie. So if he says it right here. Then it's going to be forever. And then in verse 22, goes on and says, After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. So he goes on to baptize people. And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and they were baptized. So more people got baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Uh oh. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I have that I am sent before Him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly, because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy; therefore, it's fulfilled. I think right through here, he's just kind of going back and amplifying. How great Jesus was, or is, I should say. And then he says, He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all, and he that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him." And this right here, all this right here, it's not in the red words because obviously Jesus did not say it directly. This is John talking to the Jews that had walked up to him. And he's really just kind of prophesying and, well, it would be prophesying to them because they hadn't heard it yet. He was just kind of preaching to them what was about to happen which is the wrath of God coming to those that don't accept him. And it's and it's the same God. I know a lot of people like to take there's the love of God and that's Jesus and it's a whole different God than what God is. No, it's 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 not only love, but it's tough love. You know, he's giving this chance to become one of his followers. And he's giving you that chance, but at the same time, he's also a very just God, a very fair God. So he doesn't cut corners for anybody, because then that's really considered lying. Like, for instance, in the story of Noah, you know, he flooded the earth, killing all the creatures, and, well, that didn't make it on the ship, obviously, the ark but also all the humans except for the few that that God commanded to get on the Ark. You know, all the humans, all the giants that it talks about. So, this means that if he was to cut corners for somebody else that is doing the same thing that maybe the people were doing back in Noah's day, then he would have to go resurrect them from the pits of hell and forgive them even if they didn't ask for it. So, I mean, he's not going to do that because he is a just God. He is set in his ways and he will not, he's not flexible, in other words. But he is very compassionate. He cares. He loves. I mean, he died for you. What more can you ask for? You know, John here is just really emphasizing the importance of God when he's talking to these Jews that, uh, you know, this guy that is sent from heaven, he is above all. The king of the Jews, everything, he's he's the supreme being, you know, nothing is above him. So this makes an excellent title for this episode, and I think I'm going to call it the divinity of Jesus, just because this whole chapter here really exclamates how divine he is, how important he is, how up there on the scale he really is that, you know, like I said earlier, you know, nothing can go to the kingdom of God except through him, you know, his blood. But it also states that Those who don't will see the wrath of God and the judgment of God later on. So that's just going to wrap this up today. Uh, Next week, we will continue with chapter 4. Looks like it's uh, a little bit longer than this one, uh, but it does have a lot of words spoken by Jesus himself. But don't, don't let the red words confuse you, Uh, simply because, yes, they are the words that Jesus spoke, but as it states in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, we take that to mean that all of this scripture, every part of the Bible was wrote by God himself, which is Jesus at the same time. So... We cannot say that Jesus' words, which are in the red, are any more important than the words which are in black, even though they tell more of a historical, you know, kind of what's going on. But they are still empowered by the Holy Spirit that was put on these people that wrote the original text. And also, which is the same Holy Spirit that was put in people that filled people that translated it to the English language so that all could understand it, that knew English. And then, of course, from then on, it got transferred into other languages. And a lot of people don't realize that the reason it was translated into English by King James was because at that time, the Catholics are the, were the only ones that knew the Latin and the Hebrew and the Greek that the original text was wrote in. So, this being said, nobody would know if what the priests were preaching was true. So the king ordered the Bible to be translated because he felt like people really needed to know what it really said. Of course, that made the, the... Catholic priests pretty mad. I'm pretty sure it made the uh, the Pope mad, but it is what it is. So now we have the King James Version Bible, which was translated by so many scholars. So many, you know, they had a bunch of people that knew the languages, and they got them all together and said, "This is what this means." And I believe firmly that the Holy Spirit was on these people while they were translating it to get it right. And that goes back to the Spirit was, like in the New Testament, Paul, he wrote most of the books. And the Spirit was in him telling him what to write. Most of the the books uh, that he wrote were from a jail cell. You know, he just kind of wrote letters and sent them out secretly and that's how the word of God got out from him and you know all the other people that wrote the books in the Bible the spirit was in them to tell the truth of what God wanted them to write so saying that just the red words are more important they're more of direct parables um, direct commandments so to speak and I feel like Jesus is more like direct teachings. That's that's what I get out of the red words. But are they any more important than what the rest of the Bible is trying to teach us? No, because it's all the same. The Bible does not contradict itself. If you read it enough, you'll find that out. It's very, very uncontradictive, no matter what anybody says. But you got to read it to figure that out. So that's what I'm doing this. This is why I'm going through this. I'm taking it and breaking it down for you all. So that you can hear it, and and you know listen, and maybe maybe this will feed you the information that you've been looking for, you know fill fill your life with what you've been looking for. So I hope you all have enjoyed this episode. Um, I still think I'm gonna go with uh, the name of it, the Divinity of Christ, and I hope it's blessed you. And I hope you all tune in next week. God bless y'all. Love you. Ya.